So Jesus had just entered Bethany, and he was on his way to Jerusalem. He was at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And this wouldn't be his first time there, nor would it be his last time. He will eventually, in the few, uh, next few moments, in the next foreseeable future, return to this mountain or this hill covered with olive trees. Jesus knew that this week would be the one that would test his will and would demand all of his strength. Jesus commands his disciples to go into the village to find a cult and to arrange for his entry into Jerusalem. Mystified and bewildered and yet amazed that they found the cult so easily, they return with the cult and assist Jesus onto this humble animal. Jesus would travel down the road descending into Jerusalem while hundreds of people would gather to welcome him, praising God and declaring, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The religious leaders and elite among them would admonish Jesus for allowing his disciples to declare such things. Blessed is the King? He's the King? Who comes in the name of the Lord, his is the glory in the highest. Peace is his in heaven. No, Jesus, that is not right. Rebuke your disciples, they would demand. However, Jesus would not, because the words that the disciples spoke were truth. Then Jesus would approach Jerusalem and begin to weep over the people of this city. They would hear, he, he would hear their cry and he would say, this people cries out for peace. Yet if they only knew that Jesus was the one who would bring peace on earth. This is what made the message of Jesus so appealing. This is why the message of Jesus' kingdom was such good news. His kingdom establishes peace. However... Peace could only come one way. There was only one path for peace. Jesus knew this, and he would, as he would look over the rooftops of Jerusalem, he would cry out these words. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. They did not recognize God's timing because they ignored Jesus the Israelites ignored that God came to them in the flesh. Therefore, they could not see that Jesus' life, his suffering, and his death and his resurrection would bring peace. Knowing what he came to do, Jesus would enter the temple in Jerusalem. And with a righteous anger, Jesus would clear the temple courts, overturning tables and chasing out all who had made a marketplace out of this sacred space. Jesus would boldly 
return to the temple each day to preach the good news of God's kingdom. A kingdom that brings peace. And while Jesus is proclaiming and preaching God's kingdom, the religious leaders who were the assumed authorities in the temple would question Jesus' authority to do such things. (laughs) Jesus doesn't answer their question, but he went on to tell them, the people there, this parable. A man planted a vineyard rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then, as Jesus looks back to his audience, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. And Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. The meaning of this parable was clear to the Jewish leaders. The owner is God. The vineyard is God's kingdom people. The unfaithful tenants who would kill the owner's servants were the Jewish leaders. The servants were the prophets who preceded Jesus and who were rejected by and, and, and by the tenants and killed. And that included John the Baptist amongst those servants, who the acting king Herod, the king of Israel, had killed just months ago. The owner's son, who was the one whom the vineyard owner loved and was sent by the vineyard owner and was thrown out of the vineyard and killed was Jesus. This parable was Jesus' last appeal to Israel's leaders to repent and turn to God. To repent and turn. Repent and turn to God. It is the only way to peace. Now, while the religious leaders would want to arrest Jesus Immediately, they don't do it. The religious leaders were more afraid of the opinions of the people than they were of God. They continued questioning Jesus, looking for him to say or do something that would be blasphemous so they could arrest Jesus. However, Jesus boldly would remain in Jerusalem teaching in the temple courts during the day. 
In the evenings, Jesus would retreat back to that hill covered with olive trees, the Mount of Olives, and he would pray because he knew the hour of his death was close. He would pray regularly and rest in God's will and his Father's will. Then the day of unleavened bread came. This marked the beginning of a seven-day feast to remember how God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt thousands of years ago. On this day, the whole nation of Israel would prepare a Passover lamb to be sacrificed. However, this wasn't a normal celebration as it had been for thousands of years. Jesus, and, and with Jesus, the disciples rec- would recognize that this is now different. Jesus would reclaim the meaning of the traditional Passover meal. The bread would now be identified with Jesus' broken body and no longer would it be identified with the bread that God provided Israel in the desert. The cup would either be an additional cup to the four cups of Seder in the Passover tradition or it would be one replacement cup, one cup to replace all of the cups. In any case, Jesus would lift a new cup And the lamb would no longer be one lamb needing to be sacrificed every year. Jesus would stand there holding the cup as the lamb of God who would take away the sins of all people for all of time. And he would lift this new cup to establish an eternal reminder of a new covenant that God was cutting with humanity through his beloved son, Jesus Christ. Jesus would pass that cup around and then would give Judas the authority to carry out his evil plan to betray Jesus, handing him over, turning him over to the religious elite. The Jewish leaders, this religious elite, had been plotting to do exactly what Jesus' parable earlier revealed. They were now carrying out their vicious plan to kill the vineyard owner's son. The Jewish leaders would abuse Jesus, march him into the court of the high priest. At daybreak, the high priest would accuse Jesus of claiming to be king. They wanted to execute Jesus. However, <laughs> the irony is they did not not want blood on their hands during this holy week. So they take Jesus to Pilate. Revealing to Pilate that Jesus claimed to be the king would make this a crime against Roman law and therefore is punishable by death in the Roman court. Because there is no king but Caesar. Pilate, however, finds no grounds for the high priest's charge and he then orders Jesus to be sent to King Herod, the king of Israel. King Herod in this holy week, does not want anything to do with this, and he passes him back to Pilate. And upon Jesus' return, Pilate then orders that Jesus is led outside of Jerusalem, just like the parable Jesus told about the tenants, just like in that parable. And that parable was a prophecy that was now unfolding. Jesus, the vineyard owner's son, would be lifted up on a cross and crucified and killed and murdered outside of the city. You see, Jesus was the stone the builders rejected. 
Jesus was the cornerstone in his own parable that the builders rejected. And now, Jesus' lifeless, rejected body lies in a borrowed tomb carved out of rock. The disciples fear the rejection of the people, so they scatter and hide. And then, in the cool and stillness of the dark morning on the third day, the power of the Holy Spirit would recreate the lifeless, body-beaten and torn body of Jesus, but allow the scars to remain in his hands and his feet. Then the breath of life from the breath of God would re-enter Jesus' body. Death has no power and had no power over the author of life. Satan could only strike the heel of the Son of Man, but when the resurrected Jesus Jesus would sit up and then stand up and his heel would deliver the death blow to Satan, the father of lies. Death would be defeated. Jesus would exit a tomb and then travel a road, a common road, and he would reveal himself to his disciples. He was alive and that changed everything. See, because Jesus is alive, everything that Jesus taught and who Jesus claimed to be is true. Because he is alive, everything that Jesus taught and everything Jesus claimed about himself, even that he was God, was true. And it was only because of the resurrection of Jesus that the disciples who Jesus, that the disciples believed who Jesus claimed to be. And they believed in the words that Jesus would teach. See, the words Jesus spoke are truth because he claimed to be truth. And the disciples believed this because truth came back to life. This was the only reason the disciples believed in Jesus. And so I want to ask you, Why do you believe? The resurrection was the only reason the disciples believed in Jesus. Why do you, or maybe I need to ask this, why don't you believe in Jesus? In his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Josh McDowell, a former agnostic law student who wanted to to prove that the resurrection was false, he would write this. After more than 700 hours of studying the resurrection of Jesus and thoroughly investigating its foundation, I have come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men. Or it is the most fantastic fact in history. Jesus has three basic credentials. One, the impact of his life upon history. Two, fulfilled prophecy in his life. And three, his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and Christianity stand or fall together. A student at the University of Uruguay said to him, Professor McDowell, why can't you refute Christianity? And he answered, 
For a simple reason, I am not able to explain away an event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This event changes everything. This event changes the narrative that you and I believe. See, all other narratives about Jesus are lies from the father of lies. And just as this event changed how the disciples would see Jesus, this event should see change how you see Jesus and his teachings. Because what Jesus claims about himself is truth. And what Jesus claims about himself in this parable is a truth we need to heed. When he would claim, that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. It's a truth to heed. Now, there are two ways people have understood the meaning of Jesus claiming to be the cornerstone. And one is this. Jesus will bring judgment on those who stumble over him because they've ignored him. And Jesus will bring a crushing blow to those who reject them. This is a very sober reality. It's a sober judgment on those who ignore Jesus and reject him. Another way that this has been understood is that those who humbly fall on Jesus will be broken and those who reject Jesus will be judged and crushed. Both of these are painful. But only one way leads to life. See, both of these are painful, but only one leads to being restored and made whole. Jesus Christ's re resurrection is proof that he will restore us if we fall on him and allow ourselves to be broken on him. Jesus invites you and I to be broken, fall on him and be broken, as opposed to ignoring him and then rejecting him, and then one day he will be a final blow that will crush you. See, Jesus will heal our brokenness if we fall on him. The peace of Jesus that Israel, that he wanted the world to see and that Israel even cried out for. Maybe you even see. The peace of Jesus means wholeness, completeness, fulfillment. It's what Jesus does for those who humbly come to him, fall on him, even though it may break them. Jesus brings peace and he makes whole all who humbly fall on him. Because Jesus heals all who humbly fall on him. He brings peace to them. So I want to ask you, will you humbly fall on him? Will you humble yourself and fall on him? It's going to hurt your pride. It's going to wreck your agenda for your future. And it is going to break your ideal life that you want so much. But Jesus promises something big that those who fall on him and build their life on him will receive life 
And we can trust this because he came back to life. That they will receive life. They will receive peace. They will receive joy. And they will become an unshakable life built on an unshakable foundation. This parable is also a sober warning for the world. And maybe even you. See, there's nothing that Jesus will do for those he crushes. So what, how do we need to respond today? What will you do today? You can build your life on Jesus Christ and receive his life. Or you can reject Jesus as your Lord and suffer judgment. Jesus is a solid rock. A sure foundation that because of the resurrection, we can trust and we can build our life upon. You can trust that Jesus is the living stone that the builders rejected and that he is a peacemaking, restoring force who can make you whole, heal your brokenness, and fill your emptiness when you humbly fall on him. That is what the resurrection of Jesus means for you. That's what it means for me that he is the one, he is the only one who can bring peace and make us whole. And this is how the Apostle Peter would present it to the first century church. He would say this, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The one who trusts in Jesus will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is what the resurrection of Jesus means For you, we can receive mercy. We can humbly fall on God and we can humbly fall on Jesus. And in his mercy, we may be broken, but we will be restored. You can humbly come to Jesus. You can come to him acknowledging your brokenness, acknowledging your emptiness. And you can allow him to restore your brokenness. And trust that he will fill your emptiness. Why? Because Jesus proved without a shadow of a doubt that he is for you. Through the way he suffered for you. 
Wholeness and fulfillment is what peace is. Peace is the state of being whole. It's the state of being complete. It's what Jesus came to bring. And if only we, like Jerusalem, if only we knew what or who would bring us peace. But we do because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because of that, we know why Jesus suffered. See, Jesus suffered, died, and resurrected to life so that in my brokenness, I can be made whole and receive life. Jesus suffered so you can experience peace. I don't know where you're going for peace, but he's saying, come to me, fall on me, It may hurt your pride. It may hurt, wreck your life in the way you want it to be. But I promise you something. That way when I rebuild you and I restore you, it will be the most fulfilling, rewarding experience. In fact, you will have a new life in me. So will you trust in Jesus? Will you trust him that he is the only one who can bring you peace? Will you humble yourself and fall on him? Or... Will you ignore him by disobeying him and therefore reject him? Please do not ignore his appeal to you. Please do not stumble over what he says to be truth. Don't stumble over that or reject him because you want to live your life your way. Respond to his loving appeal. Jesus suffered so you can be healed fall on him if you've never received Jesus as your savior or confessed Jesus as your Lord receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit who makes us new and gives us life then I want to invite you to do that today and I invite you to fall on Jesus and to do this I invite you to do three things believe, confess and receive believe, confess and receive believe that Jesus is alive Believe that he is your savior from your sins. Confess Jesus as your Lord, trusting in him by turning from your pride and falling on him, following his way of life. And then experience what being born again, being made new is all about by receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit into your life. And if this is what you need to do today, I want to pray for you. And I want to invite you to take a step that many are about ready to take and water baptism. And if this is you, if this is your next step, we want to celebrate this with you. If you've never been baptized, and yet today you're, you, you need to take this next step in your faith journey, I want to invite you to be baptized in water. We have clothes for you. We are prepared for you. And all you have to do is after this song, I'm going to invite you in a moment to go visit the people over here and talk with them. We have leaders ready. And for others of us, this is our response. Maybe you need to celebrate and join in what Peter would say, declaring the praises of the one who has called us because Jesus suffered for us. Or maybe you've been stumbling over Jesus, what he said to be true, or ignoring him and you're returning back to him. I ask you that during this time, you reflect and recall how Jesus suffered and he came back to life to bring you peace and will you humbly just turn to him I want to pray for us and then we're going to sing a song together and during that song I want you to reflect and then I'll be right back Father
There are many of us who need to humble ourselves and return to you and follow on Jesus today. For those who are ready to make their first step towards you, I pray for them to believe that Jesus is alive and that he is their savior. And may they have the courage right now to confess Jesus as their Lord, turn from their sin, their selfishness, and their pride. And I pray that they receive the Holy Spirit that is a gift, your gift, that makes us a new humanity in Christ Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.